0: Turn your copy of God's word, Acts chapter one. Acts chapter one. Verses nine through fourteen. So we ended with the command going into Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the end of the earth. Now, verse 9. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes, and said, Men of Galilee, Why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who is taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. That's about three quarters of a mile. And when they had entered, they went up, to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas, the son of James. All these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers." As a side note, this is the last time Mary will be mentioned in the New Testament. That's the last reference. Faith prepares for the promise. Now, even though, as you think about these men who are here with Christ, this last moment before he ascends, throughout their life these last few years, we've seen them have misunderstanding. We've seen them have misapplication of what Jesus is saying or doing. They've somehow managed to ask all the wrong questions along the way. But here, now, we begin to see the dots connect, and now we understand, and we're going to be fully in for whatever the Lord has for us. It's not all wrapped up, but it begins here that they start this track of obedience. So after the last question, they said, which had to do with the kingdom of old. They now seem to understand that there's this coming power, this Holy Spirit that's going to empower them to do this work. They seem to understand the trajectory of the mission that the Lord has for them. And so what we find them doing is what? They do exactly now what Christ has said. Go to Jerusalem and wait. And notice he didn't tell them how long. We know it ends up being about 10 days, but there's no time reference They just obey what they're told to do. Just go to Jerusalem and wait. Now, you may not have caught this, but just kind of introduction-wise, just to show you it does happen this way in the Old Testament, and then we'll get in the text. But in the Old Testament, it seemed like there had to be the passing of one person for the empowering of the next person. And so we see that with Moses. And you see Moses die And then you see this power and leadership transferred to Joshua. I'll give you the verse, Deuteronomy 34, 9. And it says, Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom. So notice, Moses dies, Moses is done, and now Joshua is filled with the spirit, spirit of wisdom. Why did that happen? Moses laid hands on him, so the people of Israel Noticing this transfer of power, transfer of the Spirit of God of wisdom, they obeyed Joshua, and they did as the Lord had commanded Moses. We could go on and on. I'll give you one more. You see this with Elijah and Elisha. In 2 Kings 2, 9 through 22, I'm not going to read all that text, but Elisha receives a double portion when Elijah is taken from him. So now here, same precept we have. Christ is taken from them, and after he's taken from them, then they receive this power to be able to do the mission that they have been commanded to do. All right, my thesis this morning is that the eternally reigning Christ, I say that phrase on purpose because there are some knuckleheads that do not believe that Christ is reigning in full power yet. For whatever reasons that they're theologically inaccurate, I just want you to understand, I hold the position that there's never been a time when Christ did not reign. He always reigns. You say, well, the world's a mess. Yeah, and he's reigning over it. The eternally reigning Christ supplies all necessities for the advancement of the kingdom until he comes. You know, I try not to chase too many rabbits, but our problems are we ask for stuff, we ask for stuff, and we ask for stuff, and we don't get stuff, and we get kind of put out with God because he didn't do this, he didn't do that, he didn't do these things for me. Look, he provides all necessities for the advancement of the kingdom. He didn't provide all necessities for the advancement of your flesh. There's a difference between those two. You want to go big for God? You want to take the gospel to the ends of the earth? You want to go to Burma and live 30 years and die on the mission field? You want to do that? He'll give you everything you need. You want to go and buy all the material junk you can buy and play all the stupid games on your phone that you can play? He's not helping you with that. But for the mission, all necessities will be supplied. Three points, three simple words. Ascension, arrival, and assembly. Ascension, arrival, and assembly. That's our message this morning. Number one, ascension. Take just a brief moment, turn in your Bibles to the end of the Gospel of Luke, to the very last verse. verses. Luke 24, and the heading of your Bible will probably say, The Ascension. Luke 24, verse 50. And he led them out as far as Bethany. And lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up, taken up, carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. I don't want to belabor this verse long, but I think in verse 52 that they worshipped him at the ascension is a clear recognition of understanding his deity, that everything he has claimed to be, everything that he has claimed to do, everything he claims for the future, they have concluded it's true. That demands worship. They worship him. All right, so you see the ascension at the end of Luke. Luke, writing here in Acts, is talking about the ascension once again. It was important to him. Verse 9 A cloud of transport. Very simply from the text, we know this. It's a a passive verb. He was taken up. If it's a passive verb, somebody did it to him. So here he is on earth. There's another person, another agent doing something. God the Father takes up Christ and brings him up to heaven. He can do it with Elijah. He can do it with Christ. Right before their very eyes, in visible form, Christ is taken up. You say, this looks like one of those sci-fi movies. Forget sci-fi. This is supernatural, God-working power in which he takes up his son into heaven. You say, I don't know if I believe that. You must believe that to be Christian. Christ has been taken up unto glory. It is a supernatural act of God. It's not the common occurrence of the day. It doesn't happen every five minutes. It happened in history here in this text. God is the one who took him up. There's cloud, a cloud associated here, and clouds are associated with God's glory. In Exodus chapter 40, verse 34, the cloud came down and covered the tent of meeting. When you read that phrase, the next line you get is, And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle, cloud descending, tent filled with glory. It was so heavy, this glory of God, Moses wouldn't even go into the tent because the cloud had settled on it. The glory of the Lord filled the place. And then you'll see in Luke 9... Is the story of the transfiguration. Christ is exalted and lifted up before them. There's Moses, there's Elijah beside him. And it says in that passage of Scripture about the transfiguration, who appeared in glory and spoke of his exodus, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. As he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered this cloud, this glory was so heavy that they, as they say on Sergeant York, uh, they were afearing, they were afearing this situation. Then in verses 10 and 11, we have a confirmation of truth. So you get this cloud of transport, you get this cloud associated with glory, and now we get a confirmation of truth. So if you want a, an example I don't know if you go back in time, maybe it's more common now than it was back then, but I remember one of the first times, I think I was possibly in the 10th grade, and uh, it may be wrong on the years, but maybe 85 or so is the year, uh, and it could be one or the other, but they had this space shuttle. And I remember being in school, and I remember all attention being drawn to the TV to watch the space shuttle lift off, and all these thousands of people are gathered around, and they're all staring. This thing takes off, and it goes for so long, and it explodes, and everybody on board dies. And all the people that were there personally, and all those up on TV, and they're just staring at all of it, and they just can't take in what just happened. They're trying to process it all, and they're... Locked in intently gazing. That's the picture. So here in verses 10 and 11, we we find that. Look there in the text. While they were gazing into heaven as he went, they continued to stare. They couldn't turn their heads away. They're locked in upon this scene. As he was going, this phrase highlights this continuous process, this keeps going and going at some point to the degree that finally he leaves their vision and they can see him no more, but they're still locked intently looking, expecting, hopeful, whatever the attitudes may be, that's the position of them when he ascends to heaven. You know, As they're locked in, unnoticed, unaware, all of a sudden there's two more guys here. Like, where did you come from? There's these two men dressed in white, and they just appeared. Two men standing by them, sudden appearance of these angels as they're gazing into heaven. They had similar experiences at the resurrection. You see that in the Gospels with the women there. All of a sudden, there's these men in white standing there in confirmation. Now, the truth of this event, the ascension, is manifested in the way these men live through the remainder of their lives. Now, a little danger here, but pause. Here's what some of us want to think. If I was there, and if I saw it with my own eyes, then I would. If I saw, if I experienced, then I would live this way. Look, The reality of truth is true whether you're there or not. Okay, so you weren't there. God wrote it down in a book. We're looking at it this morning, and God is telling you in your own language that Jesus was on earth right before the disciples, and before their very eyes, He ascended into heaven. You weren't there, but you know it to be true because God's Word has told you it is so. So if you take the position of, if I would see it, then I would, well, you've read it, then you should. What you believe affects the way you live. Let's say you don't know how to swim. You believe if you fall in the water, you drown. And you go to get in a boat. You put on a life jacket. Because you believe, if you fall overboard, you'll drown. Belief affects what you do. These men believed Christ ascended. They saw it. There's men in this room, men in this generation, that believe the same thing. Because they believe it, their lives reflect it. Now, I want to give just a couple of implications of this ascension and they all start with the letter p because that's just the way my brain works but hopefully just to see just some bullet statements might help you in some regard as i think about this ascension a couple of things that are implied a place christ was taken up to heaven there is a place it's not a figment it's not an imaginary realm somewhere it's not virtual technology Heaven's a place. If I say, I'm going to go up to West Frankfort, Illinois. West Frankfort, Illinois is a place in southern Illinois. It exists, and I can go there. Heaven is a place. It's a place where Jesus resides. It's a place where there's angels. It's a place where men of faith are already, their souls are there, recorded in Scripture that they're there before the throne of God. I just want you to know it's a place. you got to go somewhere, young man, when you die you got to go somewhere when this life ends. You say, I'll just go to the grave. It's a place. The grave is a place, but your soul's going somewhere. Hell is a place, and heaven is a place, and you're going somewhere. Whether you like it or not, you need to prepare for a place. This implication of this ascension also says there's a position. Christ is seated on a throne. Thrones are what people sit on when they rule over nations or people or groups. Christ is upon the throne that is above all thrones, over all kingdoms and all nations and all peoples, and he reigns over you. Reigns over me. He reigns over every maverick. There's not a maverick molecule on the face of the earth. Christ looks at all of it and says, mine, mine, mine. It's his position. And also, as an implication of power, Christ is reigning now over everything. Now, if people say stuff like this, well, why doesn't God, just understand this, if you say, why doesn't Christ, implication, do this, do this, just know this, it's not out of the scope of His power so if it's not being done, it's because he chose not to do it. It's not because he's unable to do it. There's a difference between the two. If, I, if, he, if it's not happening, his wisdom is doing right by not bringing it to happen. We do physical health this morning. We can talk about my dad. We can talk about people in this church. We can talk about events. We can talk about cancer. We can talk about hearts. Well, why didn't God do this? Look, he can create you out of nothing. I'm pretty sure he can fix your heart. He can do whatever he wants. He has that power because of his position, because of where his place is. And there's could be a lot longer list. I'll give you one more. This ascension is a precursor. Glory, glory, right? It is a precursor, a forerunner. Christ was taken up. He's the forerunner. Meaning what? We'll be taken up as well. There's hope here. The one who has ascended will cause us to ascend on that last day. Number two, arrival. Look at verse 11, the second half of verse 11. These men had asked why you stood looking into heaven. It's Jesus who was taken up from you. And then you see this last line, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Men are vague, men are confused, men are unbelieving in so many things. Scripture is very, very clear. You can wrestle with it, you can come up with your opinion, you can come up with your theology, you can write yourself a book and claim yourself to be famous, you can do whatever you want to do, but the text says he will come. And not only will he come, but he tells us how he'll come in the same way he was taken up. In this same type of manner that you saw him go, that's the manner in which he is going to come. Let me... Remind you of some scriptures. One's enough for me. The end of verse 11's enough, but let me give you some others. Let me set these in your mind or in your heart this morning. I don't know whether they're true for you or not, but expectation. Think about it. Do you have any? Do you have any expectation? The sad reality of our world is, is we have more expectation for a fat guy in a red suit that doesn't exist and doesn't come down to a chimney. We have more expectation for him than we do for the coming of Christ. You don't believe it? Just look at the stores. They probably already got Christmas trees out. I mean, getting ready. Santa might come. The guy's not even alive. Expectation. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 5. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time Before the Lord comes. Or 1 Corinthians 11.26, in regards to communion. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. Then you get 2 Thessalonians 1.10. When He comes. Words are important. It says when. It says when in the Greek text. It does not say if. But when? Because He will come. Expectation. Secondly, I'd say to you this, entourage. He's not coming by Himself. Not coming alone. It's a big event. Matthew 25, 31, when the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, all of heaven following the great champion of souls, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and all of his company coming to gather his bride to himself. An expectation again, but an expectation that implies a warning, a warning. And so I say to you this morning, be cautious as to what you think individually in regards to these words until he comes. Be warned. Quote, this is what the scripture says in Luke twelve, or I mean Luke 9. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes. When he comes what? In his glory. And the glory of the Father, and the glory of all the holy angels. If you're ashamed to talk about the return of Christ, when he comes, he will be ashamed of you. Be warned. Be cautious. Now, I know it's a lengthy read, but I think we need to read in order to get it. I don't want to paraphrase at least this one reference. You see, because when I talk about expectancy and his coming in this entourage and this warning, I want you to understand the importance of this before you drift off to sleep or something or start playing on your phone. So listen. You and I have to give an account. This is the problem. We have to give an account. So turn in your Bible to Luke 19. Just hear the words of the Lord. I'm not even going to give any commentary on this. I just want to read it. just want you to hear what God says. Luke chapter 12, verse 35. In the heading, which is not a text, but a heading. It'll say something like, you must be ready. But listen to this as we think about giving account to the Lord when he comes. This is what the text says, starting in verse 35. Stay dressed for action. Keep your lamps burning. Be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast, so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table, and he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. But know this that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You, must, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Peter said, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? And, and the Lord says... "'Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all of his possessions. But if that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming,' and he begins to beat the male and female servants, and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour when he does not know, and he will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. And that servant, who knew his master's will, but did not get ready or act according to his will, will receive a severe beating." but the one who did not know did not and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating everyone to whom much is given of him much will be required and for him to whom they entrusted much they will demand the more you know our text says he comes how will he find you when he comes be a good steward in luke it doesn't use talent use the word minas minas uh, is the monetary of three months' wages, if you will. Be a good steward of your meanness, Luke nineteen eleven through 27. Whatever God's given you, use it for His glory. Use your gift, use your talent, serve your church, serve your Lord. Use it with everything you've got. Make more, make interest. Say, I don't know what to do, put it in the bank where to draw interest. But don't take the God given ability that He's given you, bury it in the dirt, and do nothing. Because if you do, you'll have to give an account for how you've squandered the gift He has given you. Everything you have. Your mind, your will, your abilities, your talents, all these things that each one of you are made up with, all of these things God's given you, use them for God's glory. And then also, refreshment, being refreshed in the Lord in Acts chapter 3, verses 19 through 21, is tied to repentance and His coming for you. So this implication of a repentant lifestyle, a good steward lifestyle, of uh, being ready and working until he comes lifestyle. All of these things are here. Why? Because he will come. What would it look like if he came this past Tuesday at seven o'clock? What were you doing? Tuesday, 7 p.m. Where were you? What were you about? Here's a shocker. What would this look like? What if he came tonight in the midst of communion when all the Christians gather around the table to eat the bread and drink the cup and proclaim his death to the come? What if he come then? And there you were watching Grey's Anatomy. I got that on the front page of the paper. I don't even know what it is. It was on the front page of the easel paper. It's the show. I'm sure it's wicked. Paul Washer said if you watch it, you're not even Christian, so whatever that means. What, would he, what is he going to find? If he came tonight, what would he find you doing? What would you be about? Where's your heart? Where's your mind? What, what are you doing with your life? What, what's going on? And one day he's going to be here, and then what? What? In the same way, don't take these words too restrictive. He ascends alone, but he will not come back alone. He'll come, it'll be personal, it'll be glorious, and it'll be powerful. Luke 21, 27, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. His coming will be quick, it will be unexpected, and it will end earthly life as we now know it, and sin will be no more. It will not, I don't know where they get this secret rapture of the church and all these goofy left behind Tim LaHaye books. I don't know how they ever sold a copy. Look, you can't have Christ come in secret. It says in Revelation, behold, he is coming with clouds and every eye will see him. It's not a secret affair in a corner somewhere. Every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth are going to wail on account of him. Even so, amen. Luke 17, 24. For as the, light, the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Dark night, two o'clock in the morning, storm crowds are rolling. You're out there with no street lights and no lights around, and lightning flashes and just... Boom! The whole sky lights up and you're like, wow! Yeah, more than that when he comes. It's not secret, not private, and the whole world is going to be forever changed. And not come alone. He will come with all the angels of heaven, all of those his entourage with him. And 1 Thessalonians four fourteen. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, we're not going to precede those who have fallen asleep, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, we'll be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always, so we will always be with the Lord. This is a Christian's expectation. 2 Thessalonians 1, 7 to grant relief to you who are afflicted. Anybody here afflicted? Anybody have difficulty in life? When the Lord comes, there's going to be relief for the afflicted, as well as to us, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with all of his mighty angels, all affliction's over, all sickness is over, all death is over, and we are gathered in his presence. He's not a secret coming, a seven-year waiting, and a bunch of goofy left-behind books, and then something else. When he comes, just like he went, it's done. If you're not ready, then hell awaits you. We must be prepared for this day. I believe in an imminent recom- coming. I believe in an immediate rec- coming. I believe in a bodily coming. I believe in the end of all things coming. I ask these questions as far as application goes. What are you doing in light of His coming? What are you doing? If He came today, would he be pleased at your preparation for him? Could you imagine this afternoon, Jesus come to your house? What's your living room look like? Wait, what's, what's your house look like? Would you be embarrassed if the Son of God walked into your living room today? I remember back years ago, I'm a seminary professor was talking about the day Jesus visited. And he's like, he's coming on this day, and they cleaned the whole house up. Everything was perfect. Jesus walked in the room, and Jesus goes, I want to look in that closet right there. Oh, no, don't look in that closet. What, what, what are we going to do? If he came today, is, is he pleased with your preparation? Is he pleased with your prayer life, your Bible study? Is he pleased with your evangelism? Is he pleased with your godliness? Is he pleased with your conduct, your words, with your thoughts, with your motives, with your intentions? What are you, what are you going to say? He's going to come and say, well, Lord, I didn't know you were coming. I spent all my time in sports and athletics and all these little frills and fancies where I could be healthy longer, where I could die later. If He came today, would He cast you into hell? If Jesus came today, would He throw you right into hell? Some people would be thrown into hell on that day. I don't want it to be you, but He could come today and cast you into hell. If you're not right, you're not ready... You haven't professed Him as Savior. You haven't been baptized. You're not a part of a local church. You have no hope. You have no security. And if He came today, all you have awaiting you is the great gulf of hell for all of eternity. If He came today, would you be happy or sad? I never can get that woman's words out of my head. I said, unless the Lord comes. And she said, I hope it's not today. I have so much to do. Ma'am, if Christ comes back, what you have to do doesn't matter. Lastly, assembled, chapter 1, verses 12 through 14, you have the list of names, you have their location, where they're at, you have what they're doing towards the end in verse 14. If you look there in verse 14, they, well, in verse 12, they return to Jerusalem, but in verse 14, they're in one accord, they're devoting themselves to prayer, women, Mary, mother of Jesus and his brothers. Obedience. They're doing exactly what Christ said, devoted to prayer. They're persisting in prayer, busying themselves with prayer, engaged in, devoted to, like the other scriptures would say. Be constant in prayer, Romans 12. Continue steadfastly in prayer, Colossians 4. We'll devote ourselves to prayer, Acts 6, 4. It's continual prayer life. Now that's what they're engaging in. Don't miss the connection. Jesus says this will happen. The Holy Spirit will come and you will receive power. Divine sovereignty, this will happen. What do you do with divine sovereignty? You engage in human responsibility and you go and you pray that what he guaranteed would come. You see how this helps you? You know, You don't take some kind of view of Scripture. God's sovereign does whatever He does, so I'm not going to do anything. God's sovereign, so I pray all the more. God's sovereign, so I preach all the more. God's sovereign, so I share the gospel all the more. God's going to save whomever He's going to save, whenever He's going to save them, however He wants to save them. And because of that, I'm going to engage in evangelism. They devoted themselves to prayer in one accord, one mind, one purpose, one impulse, together, unity. Without the unity, without unity, the church will never be healthy, and the church will never be fruitful. I would refer you to Luke eighteen. We got a little bit of time. You glance over at Luke eighteen. It might be a story you forgot along the way. Maybe you hadn't read it in a long time. So we're talking about unity, devoted to prayer until the Lord grants the promise. So it reminds me of Luke eighteen. It's a shorter read, but let us read that parable of the persistent widow. 18.1, he told them a parable to this effect, that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. There was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterwards he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth. God said, I will, and the church responds by devotion to prayer, persisting until the answer is given. I assume in the upper room for 10 days, they continually prayed until the Spirit came and granted them power. Now, I also want you to see this, the diversity of the group. I'm not going to preach all these names, but I do want you to see a little bit of diversity here as we wrap these things together. I do want you to note this and understand this. Jesus' brothers before this were unbelievers. You can look at Mark and you can look at John. They were not believers in him for who he claimed to be. They were lost and they were going to go to hell. That was where they were. Something has transpired and now they're no longer unbelievers. Now, I think this is what the order was. In Corinthians, he appeared to James. James he appeared to James and then James takes that appearance and communicates it to Jesus' brothers other brothers all the apostles there so James then becomes the leader of the Jerusalem church and so out of this revelation James receives of the Lord Jesus then these brothers of the Lord are going to be affected right particularly the Lord's brothers were acknowledged alongside the apostles as a distinct group. Here's these brothers later on. It says, Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife or do other apostles and the brothers of our Lord? There's this group of brothers of the Lord who are Christian. I just want you to see that these unbelieving brothers come to a position of believing. All of these one accord, devoting themselves to prayer, together with women, with Mary, with Jesus, and his brothers. And you say, why are you trying to you know, emphasize this? Because you could have walked in this room today as an unbeliever. And you could walk out of this room as a believer. That's why I'm emphasizing it. Jesus' own brothers are unbelieving, but now they're believing. This is the way it works. You leave unbelief and you believe. Believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe He died on the cross for you. Believe He was buried in the tomb. Believe He rose from the dead. Believe that He ascended and believe that He's going to return and gather His church unto Himself. Believe on the Lord Jesus now. Arita, right now, believe on Him. Believe Christ with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. Believe Christ. Say, what does it mean to believe? It means to give yourself to Him. I trust Him and Him alone. If I die right now, I'm going to heaven because of Christ. i got nothing else. I just believe Christ. He's my love. He's my heart. He's my everything. He's my world. Direct your attention to what the Lord says. Devote yourself to attaining the promise by means of prayer. You're sitting in this room, you say, Well, sometimes, preacher, you talk about election. Sometimes you talk about predestination. Sometimes you talk about foreknowledge. And, and you don't, you know, back when I was growing up, you, at the end of the service, you're supposed to walk down an aisle, raise your hand, repeat some kind of prayer. I don't even know how to get saved around here. Let me help you. Devote yourself to prayer and ask God for mercy, ask Him to help you to believe upon Christ. For how long? Until you believe Christ. Just keep praying until you believe him. Keep asking for mercy until you receive it. Keep asking for grace until your life is changed. You said, how will I know? You'll know. You'll know. You say, I I don't understand. Okay, let me make it simple. You're single. You're 25 years old. Minding your own business. And you walk into Walmart and you see this girl, and you don't know her name, you've never saw her in your life, and all of a sudden, you're in love. And all you can think about is how to get her phone number, how to have a conversation, how to go out on a date, and how to spend the rest of your life with her. Everything just changed, and, you're like, and you know it. You leave Walmart, and you're like, oh, I'm scared to call her, I don't know what to say. Your whole life is all wrecked! Because you saw this girl at Walmart. Look, you pray until you see Christ. And when you see him, it'll wreck your world. And everything will be changed. And you'll know, I love Christ. And you know what will happen? And you'll be wanting to be baptized. You'll be wanting to read your Bible. You'll be wanting to worship and sing praises unto your king. Jesus' brothers were unbelievers. They became believers because of the resurrection and the ascension. If you're an unbeliever today, I pray that tomorrow you'd be a believer for your own soul's sake. In conclusion, believe or remain in unbelief. That's your options. Everybody in the room, believe or remain in unbelief. But the truth of what's spoken from this text remains the same. He ascended, he will arrive, and those that will be assembled with him are those who believe. The resurrected Jesus ascended to heaven, and on a day that's fixed by the Father, he will return. Your belief or lack thereof will not hasten his return, will not delay his return, and it certainly won't negate his return. He is coming. The Greek word implies already in the process of motion of the event. He's coming, and you cannot stop him. You know, let's talk about free will. You can free will it all the way home, but you can't stop Christ from coming. Well, I will for him not to come. I don't care what your will is. He is coming. No matter what your will is, God's fixed the day like a day in Galatians 4, 4, in the fullness of time type day. Those who have truly received Christ by faith, we rejoice at this coming. And those who continue to spurn the Son of God by unbelief and rebel against this day. You know why? You squirm in church. You know why you don't want to be here and you don't want to listen to the sermon? You know why you don't like this kind of stuff? Because you know when He comes, He's going to judge you. And you don't want nobody judging you because you're American and you don't think nobody can judge you. He's going to judge you. And if you don't believe him, you're going to hell. You're going to spend eternity in hell. He's coming, and He's going to give that final judgment over your life. You say, you're just a crazy hell and fire and damnation preacher. No, I'm just a man who's saved by grace trying to tell you to flee from the wrath of God. Believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ before He comes. Because if you don't, there's an eternal hell waiting for you. But if you would believe this day, right now, you would believe upon Christ, you can have eternal life. All your sins can be forgiven. You can be clothed in His righteousness, and you can live forever in glory. I just want you to know Him and believe Him. Don't throw your life away in rejection. Embrace Christ by faith. Father in heaven, I thank You for this morning. I thank You for Your Word. Lord, I need... This reminder of your coming. Lord, I get caught up in the routines of life like anybody else. Lord, I get in this whole hum, go through the motions, Monday, Tuesday, blah, blues of life. Lord, it encourages my heart and gives me hope that this type of life is not forever. One day you're going to come. One day you're going to come. Lord, may that be a great cheer to the Christian's heart this morning. That our Lord is on his way. And Lord, for those in this room still wrestling and fighting and rebelling and spurning, oh, that today they would be humbled and they would believe Christ. We thank you for the ascension. We thank you that you will arrive on a fixed day. and We thank you that in glory your church will be assembled for all of eternity. We pray these things this morning by your spirit in Christ's name. Amen.